Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, Season 7, Episode 17. With branding, it definitely has made me step back, think about like my posts specifically or just how when someone comes on my page, what are they, what's their first glance? Like, what is it going to tell them about me? And that'll help in the long run, especially like when I'm out of PT school and I'm done with my master's going for those first jobs. Like, how am I, how am I portraying myself? So if someone does find my social media, what do they see? And then just kind of helps me think about going forward. Like, how do I want to change as a person? How do I want to portray myself? And that carries over into real life, not just social media. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. This is the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I'm Eric McMahon. Today's episode takes on a big topic in college sports, name, image, and likeness, or NIL. For the first time, college athletes are allowed to receive financial compensation through their name, image, and likeness through marketing and promotions. Not only that, but soon after the NCAA allowed college athletes to be paid through NIL deals, over 30 states have now passed laws legalizing NIL contracts in K-12 schools. To talk about this, and for the first time, our guest today is a current college athlete, Hannah Burkhart. She's a graduate student on the track team at East Tennessee State University and recently passed her CSCS exam. Hannah, welcome and congratulations. Hey, Eric. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on the podcast. Super excited to have passed my CSCS and join a body of knowledgeable strength coaches and get more involved with the NSCA. Awesome. Yeah. No, it's great having you with us. We connected. We'll get a little bit into this, but we connected uh, over Instagram, actually. Yep. <laughs> uh, I was seeing some of your NIL posts and it kind of just spurred this conversation on. So, uh, ETSU, it's a school that many in our field associate with strength and conditioning and sports science. How has your experience as a student athlete led you to pursuing your CSCS? Yeah, so my experience as a student athlete was definitely a large factor in this. Going into college, however, did not know that I yet had a passion in strength and conditioning, but it was a lifting with the team, like freshman, sophomore year, getting to lifting. I realized that I really enjoyed the training process surrounding lifting outside of just my running training. In high school, a lot of, uh, a lot of athletes, we don't really have much experience with lifting yet. So it was college that led me to this. And then as I started to progress more with lifting, I realized I had all these curiosities on how the process worked. I had those same curiosities with running in high school always questioning my coaches. So in the weight room, I began to question like, why are we doing this exercise here? Or why at this time of the season? So I started to research that, looked into what I could do education wise, um, aside from my undergrad in exercise science, realized that ETSU had amazing masters and PhD programs that until that point did not know about. So I started pursuing that, reached out to some advisors and actually started a started my master's in sports science in my last year of undergrad as an accelerated bachelor's to master's. And from there, it's, it's been a great process. I'm so glad I landed at ETSU. You know, we have the stones here, which is just absolutely incredible. It's been absolutely incredible. So super glad that I landed here and been pushed in this direction. Yeah. Yeah. Mike and Meg Stone, the program they've built there, it's really impressive. And uh, from an academic standpoint, they've pioneered the progression in a way from 
exercise science to sports science within the U.S. and really been vocal in in helping the field recognize what that is. And that, that's been really central within our delivery of the NSCA sports science credential the last couple of years. They're, uh, you know, we love the stones. I was just out at the, uh, at the ETSU Coaches College. You were there yes. too. Yes. But like I said, we met on Instagram. So it's funny how, uh, how things come together. And uh, uh, sometimes you meet virtually, even though you connect with someone in the same place. For sure. So you have some NIL deals. This is outside of being a student athlete. And you were sharing some posts recently to promote a brand. For coaches that maybe don't understand how NIL works, what type of opportunities are you seeing? And how do college athletes pursue NIL deals? For sure. So NIL, it, it's a ton of different opportunities within itself. Um, it's greatly changed college athletics in the last few years. The opportunities arise from showcasing products or services for a brand. A brand can be either local or a major brand. Um, there's also, you can host camps, like little signing days, stuff like that. So there's a lot more opportunities than people think. And with pursuing these deals, you can either, there's a, there's a few approaches. So student athletes can directly reach out to brands, introduce themselves on social media or through email, some sort of contact, say who they are, why they think they would be a good fit as an ambassador or whatnot with the brand. Most of the time, however, this doesn't really work. So what's starting to pop up more are agencies such as Postgame or 98 Strong, that what they do is they act as like an agency. They go to brands and pull back deals for athletes. So you create a like profile either on their website or if they have an app, kind of showcases you as an athlete. It pulls in your social medias. You apply for these campaigns and not every athlete is picked. It's kind of the brands is up to the brand. They choose based off the pool who they think would would fit well. But that has so far been the better option. I recently have done a deal with um, CVS Pharmacy, actually, which you might think is so random. But it was a pretty simple campaign. You, It was an Instagram reel, post, and story in exchange for showing their buy online, pick up, and store feature. So for student athletes, it's really a great way to just make some money here and there and fit it into their daily life. Because recording the reel, it was a day in my life reel. So barely took any extra time out of my day than just recording what I was already doing versus like going and working somewhere for a few hours. So opportunity wise, it's a great way to make like $100 here and there. It's not all always these huge deals with companies where you're making $100,000. It's really more it's been accessible to student athletes, even as at a school like ETSU, which is in a major D1. So it just kind of has been so far, kind of helps take off some financial burdens. Um, we all know that anything we can do to decrease our stress levels, and as student athletes, we have a lot of stress. So anything that just like help with our day to day. We also sometimes work with products that we already use. So just helping us in that way, something else that we don't have to buy for our athletic performance. So it's been pretty interesting so far, but it's definitely been changing on a yearly basis as well. It's adapting and growing. What's really interesting about what you said is that, you know, this is just extra cash for you or, and, yes. <laughs> and, it, and it's not something that, you know, when we hear about these deals or we're watching it on ESPN and you hear about how much money some of these athletes are making, we're thinking in terms of hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars. But for the majority of student athletes, probably in line with the attention that certain schools and athletes get throughout their 
their college career, it's, it's really, it can be a lot more manageable and smaller than that. And just something you do on the side. I know in the uh, strength and conditioning space, we talk a lot about side hustles and things to earn and a a few extra bucks. So you're really seizing the moment you're in your final year of eligibility. And sometimes that happens. We're hearing about that a little bit more with post COVID eligibility and things. We're still sort of in that window. So it seems like you're making the most of your situation. For sure. Trying to take advantage of the side hustle, like you said, while it's still present to me. So it's a nice, it's a nice perk of being a student athlete, especially in grad school where a little extra money here and there is really appreciated, especially going into the holidays. So appreciate it right now. Awesome. So a lot of NIL revolves around social media, and this is something that comes up in the coaching ranks. We social media is prevalent. Do you see any risks for student athletes using so social media in this way or just to promote their personal brand or or maybe how it impacts the the team environment mm-hmm. i think it could become a problem if you're over focusing on social media and your development in that way because at the end of the day we we're still student athletes our schoolwork and how we're progressing on and off the field or the track, like that's still most important. So if athletes are taking too much time, just trying to, all they want to do is make money, then that's where social media can be a hamper. Um, Comparison on social media is also a big problem. You can look at athletes at other schools and like, oh, well, they're doing all these deals or this is what their training looks like. It comparing yourself can be a problem. I realize I've ran into that sometimes too. Like, well, if I'm not doing what they're doing, like, am I doing things right? So at times, like, I feel like social media, we should step back and focus on ourselves a little bit more in our own journey and our own process. But that's, that's the main, that's the main issue that I've seen with social media. I think it's a really uh, mature take on that question to, to really think about, you know, to take something on like this, you know, it's a, it's a business venture essentially. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I can speak for myself, but I think a lot of us would think back on our time in college or in graduate school. And, and there's a level of maturity that has to go with the amount of workload you're taking on. So if you're going to take this on as something extra, in addition to being a student athlete, getting your master's degree, pursuing a career, uh, it's important. It's important to really realize what you're, what you're doing. And so this is a really good conversation. So what rules and policies do you have to follow? This is important for strength coaches who work in athletic departments who maybe don't have to enforce this, but we should really understand what athletes are having to to do and the rules they need to follow uh, related to eligibility and compliance. Yeah. So it's not too difficult. You'll receive like a contract from from the brand or you just need some sort of statement that's showing like what you're agreeing to and what they're giving to you in exchange that just needs to be listed out. And then we use an app called Influencer where we can go and submit the contracts. And most schools have a compliance officer. They might have multiple that will go through and review those transactions, those contracts to make sure there's nothing in the language that could be harming our eligibility or anything like that. Usually they're fine, but it's just like a, just a safety feature we've built into place. And then also when we're like making content, we're not allowed to wear anything that shows our school's name on it or like our gear or be in practice facilities, assuming just due to like issue, like with the, with the logos, just branding with the logos, school logo. 
So we're not allowed to do that. So you just have to go off campus somewhere or if you're on campus, just make sure there's no school logos in the background. doesn't make things that much more difficult. So you just have to be aware of this, um, be aware of where you're filming and taking pictures, but not too much of a struggle on top of that. Yeah, it's it's uh, important. And maybe a, a layer we don't talk about a lot is protection of the student athlete by the yeah. institution. There's there's obviously some brand and legal aspects to brand rights and those things that maybe a lot of us coaches don't think about or understand. But when your student athletes are going out in the community around their campuses, engaging with brands and companies, uh, maybe the compliance process is a layer of protection that that does support you know the values of the institution sure. in a way. So that's you know, that's a good takeaway. And we don't, we haven't really heard that a lot. You you tend to think of maybe the NCAA or the colleges and universities as pushing back against NIL. Uh, but they, in this way, they've been pretty supportive. So this is really good. Yeah, they're there for our protection. Something I'll add on top of that real quick is like one of the things with the contracts they're making sure like what we're promoting also doesn't violate any NCAA like rules, regulations. Like for example, some products, if it's like a supplement, they want us to go get it checked to the, our athletic training room first to make sure there's no banned substances in that product. So that's something to think about if you're just trying, like, for example, like I try and look for brands that I could possibly work with that are things I'm integrating into my life already, like protein supplements um, or like energy drinks. But a lot of times with a lot of energy drinks, there's banned substances in the energy drinks. So they want us to go through and check that with our training room, make sure we're not promoting something that we're technically not really supposed to be taking anyways. So it's that is definitely an added layer of security to make sure we're not... Um, violating any rules. So they're there to help us for sure. Okay. Let's talk career a little bit. You're finishing your master's degree. You just passed your CSCS exam. Where do you hope your career will take you in the next few years? So it's funny, we're talking about strength and conditioning, but when I finish my master's program in sports science, I'll actually be starting physical therapy school at ETSU the following spring. Um, I know that kind of seems like a, like a step away, but Growing up, I always wanted to be a physical therapist, and it wasn't until the last few years that strength conditioning came on my scope. So really decided that I wasn't going to limit myself, and I was going to pursue all of my passions and educate myself further in my passions. Um, I'm aspiring to be a sports medicine physical therapist, so I still want to be around athletes, and that's where strength conditioning is going to add to my toolkit. Um, for example, I think right now there's a lot of gray area when athletes get to in-stage rehabs, be it a major surgery like ACL or some other longer stage of rehabilitation. There's a lot of gray area where I kind of think sometimes the, the, the rehab programs aren't specific enough to the athlete and the sport they're in. And this is where knowledge as a strength coach, being able to perform a needs analysis, know better for that athlete, how to get them prepared to actually be 100%. They're clear. A lot of times they're cleared, like safety wise to return to play, but they're not actually capable for their sport demands. So they come back, they're practicing, but they're not at their former level yet. So really thinking I can help make this process more efficient for athletes, having knowledge in both, um, aspiring maybe like a top end goal being a like a performance director at a university college kind of being that joining force between the sports medicine staff strength conditioning staff if I'm working with a few teams myself 
and in the training room can really provide a model for the other strength coaches and sports medicine staff on how to make our training process more effective, more efficient for our athletes, because that's how we're going to set ourselves apart as a university. If our athletes are coming back more than 100 percent able to play and preventing injuries in the first place. So those are my those are my aspirations. That's great. And, and it shows really, really great awareness to where the field's at right now. Uh, there, there's a strong voice for an integrated approach to performance. It's not just health anymore. Uh, we, we know that a healthy athlete may not perform, uh, and, and you have to take it beyond that, just getting back on the field that, that handoff between sports medicine and strength and conditioning is often overlooked, but probably the most vital period for, that return to performance athlete. We're even starting to hear return to performance instead of return to play uh, being echoed across the performance side and the sports medicine side. So it's refreshing to hear that. And it's exciting. It's not uncommon for exercise science students, strength and conditioning students to have physical therapy aspirations. Maybe as a field, we haven't always welcomed that, but I think we're getting better, especially as these performance director roles, as you mentioned, these more integrative collaborative departments are being formed. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity and it sounds like you have a really great grasp on it. Uh, as a student, you know, I, we talked about maturity uh, a little bit before. What are some of the biggest fears and challenges that strength and conditioning students experience uh, during their college or graduate school years, just as they're as they're thinking about breaking into the coaching and performance world. Yeah, I think entering strength and conditioning, there's a lot of big personalities, a bunch of different perspectives out there. So right now, what I'm seeing is at times I get a little overwhelmed, even with how many perspectives there are out there, because I'm learning one thing in the classroom, but there's always different contexts, always different applications to where I have to be able, be able to adapt what I know. And I'm learning that I have to really open up my perspectives right now. And that can be, that can be scary. You kind of get stuck in, oh, this is, this is the way I'm doing things. This is the way I'm programming for my athletes. And then you kind of fall back and you realize I need to understand more full picture. I need to understand what's best for my athletes. So for me, it's honestly the opposite of like having ego problems going in. It's more so like I have a fear of being incompetent due to like seeing everyone else around me and how much I perceive that they know. And I want to be on the same level as these other strength coaches, but they just have a different perspective. So to me, they appear to know so much more, but it's because they're looking at it with a different perspective from what, who they've learned from and what they've experienced. So it's kind of like this, this issue of like, oh, have I, have I experienced enough to know enough? So I think, I mean, that's where internships come into play, but the kind of this fear of just, am I ever, am I, do I ever know enough to be a professional in this field? So it might be the opposite for some people. They might kind of go in like headset, like, or headstrong on, oh, this is the one way to do things. I'm never changing. This is what's best. So that could be an issue for other people. But for me, it's more so like, just the the fear of not knowing enough and am I going to serve my athletes in the best way possible? So I think that's a problem. And then also just getting that experience in the first place, like finding those opportunities can sometimes be difficult because 
a lot of the internships, a lot of them are unpaid. So you're, you're going somewhere you're, you're going for like half a year. Sometimes it's on top of a GA, which is nice. Um, sometimes it's not. So you have to find a way to house and pay for yourself aside from that. So at times the education process can be a little bit daunting of, am I going to have to put myself in a lot of debt the next few years just to survive and maybe still only be a mediocre strength coach. So there's some fears right there with uh, like financial security and concerns on if I'm competent enough in my field, but that kind of, it serves as a motivational factor though, to continuously learn and be better. Just always, always be growing and learning. Yeah. There's a, there's definitely a financial layer to this, uh, as you mentioned, and to circle back on your experience with NIL, what skills do you feel like you're gaining from putting yourself out there in this in this NIL world, kind of unchartered right now? You're you're really the first wave of student athlete going through it that you think will help you as a performance coach, as a physical therapist, as a performance director in the future. Yeah, I definitely am seeing some parallels. It definitely is helping. I'm learning the importance of branding yourself. And now that's getting pushed even further with social media. You're your own brand on social media. But I'm realizing how important it is to have this cohesive image of yourself projected. So employers or like athletes know who they're going to be working with. So it's really helping. I'm figuring out how to push out informational content, how to make myself, um, how to join the athlete side of things and my educational side of things with my master's. So that, that definitely is helping. It also makes you step back and think sometimes how to be more professional and how you're conveying yourself. Cause we're still young. Like I'm still 21. So there's this whole thing on social media. Like it's, it's easy to be very unprofessional at times. And you realize that even in college that you have to be more professional in social media, which without like the NIL stuff, it probably would not have got pushed as much. You have to worry about what you're posting on social media. I mean, everyone always tells you to think about what you're posting, but until you see the direct consequences of your actions, (laughs) then that doesn't really come to mind. So with branding, it definitely has made me step back, think about like my posts specifically, or just how, when someone comes on my page, what are they, what's their first glance? Like, what is it going to tell them about me? And that'll help in the long run, especially like when I'm out of PT school and I'm done with my master's going for those first jobs. Like, how am I, how am I portraying myself? So if someone does find my social media, what do they see? And then just kind of helps me think about going forward. Like, how do I want to change as a person? How do I want to portray myself? And that carries over into real life, not just social media. So, A lot of great takeaways there. And I think what you said really, it resonates even with coaches that are further along in their careers. We're, we're a lot more outward facing as a profession or even in physical therapy, you see this uh, as professions than we've ever been before. Maybe COVID had some role in that. We were all involved in putting ourselves on Zoom calls or, or virtual events or presenting. And we podcasts, we've, we're getting more comfortable putting ourselves out there in the public eye. Some coaches have done this for a really long time. Uh, so you think about those skills, the ability in, to present yourself in a professional way. That's something we care about at the NSCA, but also public speaking ability. 
uh, ability to string a chain of thoughts together and make it meaningful and relevant for your audience, it's uh, it's really valuable what you're saying, not just as a student. And what you're realizing is that it's really never too early to start learning these skills, as long as you do it in the right way, the responsible way, a safe way, as we've talked about. I loved what you mentioned before, you know, your student athlete journey of opening up your perspectives. And it's okay that there are some fears associated with that. I think uh, we don't use the word fear very much in the strength and conditioning world, but uh, that's, I mean, I'll, I had fears when I got into this. We all have things that maybe we're hesitant to take on that that scare us. Uh, finances are a big one, and and your journey has really uh, highlighted some of those aspects. So I appreciate you sharing. And we'd mentioned your social media, your Instagram, partly because people might want to reach out, but also just so they can check out the content we're talking about. Uh, what's your Instagram handle, or how would you like people to reach out to you? So my Instagram is Hannah Nicole, the, the Hannah, the second, the, there's two A's at, before the last H. So it's, it's a little confusing. And then Nicole is spelled N-I-C-H-O-L-E. So not your normal spelling of Nicole. And if you guys also want to try and find me on LinkedIn, it's Hannah Burkhart. If you want to professionally connect, it'll be a, like a connection to East Tennessee State University. So that's how you'll be able to find that it's me. So you can reach out professionally on LinkedIn or follow me on Instagram, see what I'm posting reach out if you have, if anyone wants to collaborate. Yeah, we will tag you in in the episode. Awesome. We will uh put that information into the show notes and uh yeah, this has been really really valuable a deep dive into name image likeness and IL from someone experiencing it right now. Uh really great for the podcast that you just got your CSCS. So just congratulations again. We're happy for you and excited. Yeah. Excited to see where your career takes you. Yeah. Very honored to be on the podcast. Speaking of professional skills, it's a, this is new to me. Never, never been on a podcast. So it's a new learning experience, something I'm glad to have experienced. Really great job. Thanks everyone for tuning in. That was Hannah Burkhart, East Tennessee state university track and field. Special thanks to Sorenex Exercise Equipment. We appreciate their support. I'm Coach Boyd Epley. I'm known as the founder of the NSCA, and you just listened to an episode of the NSA Coaching Podcast. To learn more about all the NSA offers, check out nsa.com. And join us at an upcoming event this year. I hope to see you there. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.